0: The following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. Verse 9, the Bible says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Then look with me to First Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 <clears throat> and uh, verse 9. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, God is faithful by whom he recalled into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'd like to preach on the subject this morning. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, Lord, we're thankful for those who are able to be here with us this morning. And Father, Lord, help us to know that you're with us today. Thy word says that where two or three are gathered together in thy name, there are you in the midst of us. Father, be with us, teach us, help us, Father, to help me to preach. And Father, help those who are here to listen. Lord, help us then to take what we've heard and put it to practice. Father, thank you for being the faithful God that you are in so many ways. And even in the areas we'll talk about this morning, God, help us, Lord, for having been here to love you more and serve you better, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Again, our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. In both of our texts this morning, we find that the Bible says God is faithful. You know, that's really in some ways... Uh, contrary to human behavior uh, even as we see in our world today and we're experiencing more and more all the time that people are becoming more unfaithful in so many different areas of life if you look with me to psalm 12 psalm 12 and verse 1 psalm 12 and verse 1 here the uh, david is lamenting the same issue among men he says help lord For the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, and with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. And he's speaking of unfaithfulness. And in uh, these areas, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said with our tongue will we prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? So he's talking about the unfaithfulness of men and you know it's not a new thing uh, you know, the bible teaches there's nothing new under the sun men have uh, always been as they have been and they continue to be that way and sometimes one of the problems great problems that we deal with as, uh, as christians as human beings is the issue of faithfulness and the word faithful and faithfulness is defined in this manner fidelity loyalty firm adherence to allegiance and duty as the faithfulness of a subject. It is one of the Lord's attributes, and an attribute is that which is attributed to or considered as belonging to or inherent in. There are many things that are inherent in God. Everything about God is is perfect, even His faithfulness. The word fidelity is faithfulness, careful and exact observance of duty or performance of obligations. Uh, We expect fidelity in a public minister, in an agent or trustee, or a domestic servant, and a friend. Loyalty is defined as fidelity to a prince or sovereign, or to a husband or wife or friend. So this morning as we talk particularly about the Lord and His faithfulness, I want us to consider three things this morning. First of all, He is a faithful friend. You know, I don't know about you, but over the years I've had friends, and yet... You know, I, I'm not sure if I can count on, my, on one hand those uh, that I would consider as faithful friends. And sometimes when I think others fail me, I fail others. Sometimes I'm not the friend I ought to be. And yet, be sure of this the Lord is always, uh, uh, God is always a faithful friend. Look at me to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. <clears throat> And uh, look at verse 24, Proverbs 18 and uh, verse 24. The Bible says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And I think that friend speaks of our Lord. But he says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Sometimes, uh, we probably all heard this. Well, you know what? Uh, Nobody's my friend. Or I can't seem to find a friend anywhere. Well, sometimes friends are of our making we go out of our way to if you will be friendly you know some people are walking around and they're just you know like I, <laughs> they look like people who are weaned in a dill pickle they're just sour they have a sour disposition and you know what who wants to be around a sour miserable looking uh, person not too many and usually the sour apples, if you will, are people that, that uh, they, they want everybody to come flocking to them, but they don't think outside of the fact that, you know what, if you're gonna have a friend, make, you know, be friendly, be nice, amen? And you know, my mom used to say, be nice. It never worked, but she said, be nice, amen? God says to us, be friendly. If you're gonna have a friend, be friendly. You know, some people sit in one spot and never seem to be able to get up and move around and be friendly to other people, and folks. It's so important in a church that we get out of our seat and we go and we be friendly. We shake hands. We tell bad jokes, like the pastor. Amen. You know, and I'm not talking about bad jokes. I'm talking about just bad jokes. <laughs> they don't make. They're not funny. Amen. But you know, we need to be friendly. Let me go me to John 15. John 15. And thanks be to God that the Lord is our friend. If we're if we're Christians, we're His friends, and He is our friend. In John 15, beginning in verse 12, John 15, beginning in verse 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he says, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. He says here, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. But he's talking about calling them friends. Now, before that, look at verse 13. Uh, the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, and another man lay down his life for his friends. Remembering this, folks, always, that before we were saved, we were not the friends of God. You know, some people say, Well, I've, I, I'm all, I've always known God. I've always been, he's always been my friend. No. no. <laughs> no unfortunately we've not always been the friend of god and god's love is greater than any man could possibly imagine you know, the bible teaches and we'll look at me to romans chapter 5 that some would even dare to die for a friend and yet god's love is greater in that he died for us when we were not his friends when we were enemies because of wicked works in romans 5 beginning in verse 6 the Bible says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And who are they? All of us. Before we're saved, we're all sinners. We're all ungodly, separate from God because of sin. And folks, not, you know, not the friend of God. The Bible says sin is the transgression of the law. And all is sin that comes short of the glory of God. How can we say we're friends with God when we transgress His law all the time before we're saved? in so many different ways. But it goes on to say, "...for scarcely for righteous men will one die, yet peradventure for a good man even some would dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him." For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies before, not the friends of God. But what a blessing that God loved us. He wanted us to be his friends. He showed himself friendly in a way that no human being ever has. He died for us, not because we were friendly to him, but because he wanted us as his friends. You know, he dealt with... The offenses that you know, when two people, when two people are at odds with each other because of some offense, some sin, some problem between each other, there's no friendship there. Christ died to take that out of the way, and give us the uh, the uh, privilege, the privilege to call God our our friend, if you will. In John, excuse me, Proverbs 17 and a 17, Proverbs 17. <clears throat> and of verse seventeen. <clears throat> Again, God our God is faithful, He is a faithful friend. In Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know, <clears throat> when you really have someone who is your friend, you know what? Sometimes and let me say this sometimes every friendship has a strain. Because we're human beings. And there are going to be times when we upset our friends. We say dumb things to our friends. They say dumb things. We do dumb things to each other. But you know what what is a lasting friendship? Someone who is really your friend. You know what, folks? He says it. He says it here. A friend loveth at all times. Even when, now listen, even when we upset each other. Amen? You know, thanks be to God that God is that kind of friend. He loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity, if you will. Proverbs 19 and verse 6. Proverbs 19 and verse 6. <clears throat> the Bible says, Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. You know, there, there is some lame kinds of friendship that isn't hardly worth mentioning. You know, I've read stories about people who've won the lottery one of these days, I'm going to win the lottery. say, preacher, really? As soon as I buy a ticket. I've never bought a ticket. You say, well, how can you win? The...? You, you can't. And I really don't want to win, win the lottery. You know, the Bible says that wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. And to get money by a lottery is vanity. You say, well, I'd like to be very, very vain. <laughs> I'd like to win the lottery. No. You know, I don't know how many stories I've read of people who've won the lottery and then lost it. All. can you imagine blowing what so many millions of dollars people do but it's amazing how many stories I've read about people who have won the lottery and suddenly they are the most popular relative they everybody wants to be your friend amen you know when people are doling out cash everybody wants to be a friend of that person you know because wow I mean look at what they're willing to do for me They don't care anything about doing anything for their friend, but they want that person to be their friend because of what they can get from it. You know, it's sad that many followed our Lord Jesus Christ and were not a friend to Christ. And they followed him for what he was giving them. They were his friend as long as they were giving, now listen, as long as they were giving to them what they wanted. But as as they listened closer to his teaching, suddenly they said, "Eh, I don't know about this. They got sick of the word of God and said, you know what, I don't know about this friend of Jesus, but bit. I'm going someplace else. Look with me to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. <clears throat> Look with me to verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Bible says here, open rebuke is better than secret love. Wow. How can that be? How many of you love to be openly rebuked? Nobody. And yet, open rebuke is better than secret love. And he says here, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Remember, you know, how did Judas betray Christ? With a kiss. The kiss of friendship. And he sought to destroy Christ. You know, and it was all about, it was all about money with Judas. And Jesus said, friend, friend, Whence comest thou? Jesus wanted to be Judas' friend, but Judas wasn't Jesus' friend. Amen. Look with me to verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know, faithful to the wounds of a friend. Sometimes a real friend will come to you and say, you know what? I think you're doing something that's going to hurt you. You know, they used to have a saying, friends don't let friends drive drunk. Friends don't let friends get drunk. You know, if you care about people, try to do something to turn them away from alcohol. But, you know, folks, <clears throat> sometimes we have to say things to friends, people we love and care about, because we, maybe we see them destroying themselves. And we know if we don't say something they may continue in a path of destruction that will ruin their life and a real friend will step in and say you know what what are you doing to yourself you know some people call themselves the friend of someone and then they enable them to do the wrong thing they say i'm your friend so they'll buy them alcohol or they'll help them to get drugs or you know what they'll put up now listen. You know what's hard is, is a wife who's married to, say, an alcoholic. And she, she puts up with stuff for so long because she thinks she loves her husband. She should, maybe she does. A lot of women love some pretty knot-headed guys. But she puts up with bad behavior and never says anything to them about the behavior. And In one sense, you're enabling them to continue in that kind of behavior. And sometimes somebody who cares about you will come to you and say, hey, look, I'm seeing something going on here and you need some help. You need to change some of what you're doing. And you know, folks, sometimes it's like a wound. It seems hard, it seems harsh, and yet sometimes it's necessary. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You you don't sharpen a, a, a blade with something soft. Iron sharpeneth iron. And you know what? Sometimes, folks, we need someone to be iron in our life. And someone who will come along and say, hey, look. You know, don't go this way. Go this. And sometimes we're almost going against the grain of what they want to do. But if we don't, we're not sharpening them. We're not helping them to be their best now, sometimes a preacher has to stand in a pulpit and say things to you that you don't want to hear. And sometimes he has to say things to you that he doesn't want to say. That he doesn't want to have to say. You know, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said this, have I become your enemies because I tell you the truth? No. I mean, Paul was not the enemy of the church at Corinth, and yet he had to write some difficult things to correct some destructive behavior. If you will, Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know, folks, the Lord is a faithful friend to us at all times, always, and forever. Amen. Always and forever. Now, I wish it could be said that all of us were always faithful friends. But sometimes we're not. And if there's a problem... Let's follow the example of Christ. God our God is a faithful friend. Secondly, look with me to Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. <clears throat> and look at verse 9. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, "Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Not only is he our, a faithful friend, but he is a faithful spouse. He is a faithful spouse. You say, spouse? What are you talking about? Look with me to um, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll look at verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5. Before we read this passage, I want to define the word covenant for you as used in our text. And he's talking about the marriage relationship. A covenant, he says, a mutual consent or agreement of two or more persons to do or forbear to to some act or thing. It's a contract, a stipulation. A covenant is created uh, by deed in writing and sealed and executed. Or it may be implied in in the contract. To grant, pledge, or promise by covenant. Now let me remind you of something, folks. You know, people don't realize when they go to get married, they're entering into a covenant relationship. They're promising before God. They're promising before God till death do us part, for better or for worse. And sometimes the unfortunate thing is that sometimes people live with worse and not better. That doesn't mean, let me say this, it does not mean a woman has to be a punching bag. She also doesn't have to be a doormat, but it doesn't mean she can divorce the man. She can separate from him and try to get help for him and the relationship for reconciliation's sake. But understand this, there's no divorce. There's no breaking the covenant and promise before god ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or rink or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish now he says husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church You know what, folks, the bride of our Lord Jesus Christ is his church. And you know what, folks, our God, our God is faithful to his spouse and his covenant and his promise to his church. And let me say this, you know, Christ, you know, there's no other, there is no other institution or organization that the Bible says Christ died specifically for outside of the church. Bible doesn't say he died even for the home. He died for his church, and I think there could be an implication of the home as well here. But we see God being faithful to His spouse, to His covenant relationship with His church. He's promised. He said, "Lo, I am with thee always, even unto the end of the world." Amen. He's given His promise. Matthew sixteen. Look with me there. Matthew 16 and verse 18. Matthew 16 and uh, verse 18. The Bible says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what he's saying? I'm giving you my promise. No one will be able to take you down. I will be with you. I will be faithful to you. I am a faithful spouse to my bride and remember this folks the bible this is a promise christ is giving us and uh, you know the bible says in hope of eternal life which god that cannot lie promised before the world began when god promises something he keeps his word when we promise something it's better not to promise than promise and not fulfill the promise when you make a promise in a covenant relationship of marriage, folks, you've made a promise till death do us part. And I don't care whether they say those exact words in a marriage, even our modern marriage relationships, when they, when they go to get married, they're making a covenant before God. Not just before men. Malachi 2. Malachi chapter 2. And looking at verses uh, 14 through 16, Malachi 2, verses 14 through 16. And let me say this, folks, that's why it's so important that you're careful about who you marry, because you know what? You're going to be with them, under God, with them for the rest of your life. It's better not to be married than marry the wrong person, because even if you marry the wrong person, they become the right person. Amen. In Malachi 2 and 14, Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Ye uh, And did not he make one? Yet had the had he the residue of the Spirit. Wherefore, one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. And he speaks particularly about the wife of his youth. He's talking about the first and only marriage. Should be. You know, people are jumping in and out of marriage like, you know, they, like they change apartments, they change clothes. I've read, I've read accounts of some Hollywood actors that have gotten married one day and the next day gotten divorced. I say, really? Yeah, that's amazing. And yet we want to hold them up as role models. What nonsense. Verse 16, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. God is saying plainly he hates the putting away. He's talking about divorce. A divorce if, if, if people are, you know, sometimes people get, they're in a bad relationship and the one spouse divorces the other. And you say, "Well, I didn't want a divorce, so I can get remarried." No. No. That was their fault for divorcing, and you know what? You you made a promise before God, "Till death do us part." Well, preacher, I can't I can't be responsible for their behavior. Surely you can't. But you can be responsible for your behavior. That's why, folks, you know. I I emphasize with young people, be careful. Be careful, don't rush in to marriage. Matthew 19, Matthew 19. And let's look at verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And you know what? (laughs) In all reality, they were. They were doing it. But they're, they're posing a question to him, trying to catch him in a, in a bad answer. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and though they twain shall be one flesh. And let me say, there's nothing in Scripture, nothing, nothing, nothing in Scripture that says uh, two men can be married or two women can be married. It's a man and a woman. A man who takes a woman for his wife. Those two, can, those two can be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And they say unto him, why did Moses then, give, uh, uh, then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Now you know what? <clears throat> that, this is going to show you something. That not every, everything Moses allowed was right. And he says, why? And he saith unto unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. And let me say this. Let me say this. There's two different words used here. Fornication and adultery. Fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth, her which is put away doth commit adultery. Now, you know what we're talking about? We're still talking about a, co- a covenant relationship. The only time, and let me say this, divorce often is an excuse for people to get out of a relationship they don't want to be in. And look close enough at that relationship and you'll find some hard, either one hard-hearted person or two. And I like to tell people it takes two to tango. When people get divorced, it's not just one person's fault, because it's a relationship. There's fault on both sides. There may be greater fault on one side or another, but God is not for divorce or remarriage. The only time, the only time that someone can be divorced is during the betrothal period. Look at look at Matthew one, Matthew chapter one. You say, why are we talking about this? Because God is a faithful spouse, and we're talking about marriage relationships. He is a faithful spouse or husband to his bride, his church, and we are to be faithful to one another under God in the covenant relationship. In Matthew 1 and 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when, as his mother Mary was espoused. And what the word espoused means? Engaged, betrothed to Joseph says here, <clears throat> before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Now, you know what? Here was the opportunity for divorce to put her away during the betrothal period because he's thinking in his mind and heart, okay, she's got to be guilty of sin. She's pregnant. They've not come together in a marriage bed This marriage has not been consummated. They're still betrothed, if you will, engaged. Here's an opportunity for him to do something about possibly that which looks like sin. Now understand this, that Joseph doesn't realize what's going on, but God appears to Joseph and corrects his thinking. And you know, folks, God wants to give legitimacy to the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in a marriage relationship. Even though Joseph is not the father, God is the father. and It's a legitimate thing. It's a holy thing. Let's read on. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. She is considered in effect his wife, and yet... This is still the betrothal period. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Jesus Christ is born God, God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You know what? There was no physical intimacy in that marriage, now marriage covenant relationship no chance to divorce now but even still even before the consummation they had made a promise before god and joseph wasn't going to break it he understood what was going on after she'd given birth to god the son then they had children together in a proper marriage relationship you know when you read about jesus brothers and they're half brothers and sisters Not the children of God, but if you will, the children of Joseph and Mary after the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only opportunity for divorce was in the espousal or betrothal period. Look with me to Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22. Now the Lord hates the putting away. He didn't, uh, the Lord did not rebuke Joseph for thinking about what he was thinking about, but corrected his thinking about what had happened to Mary so he could make a proper decision. In Deuteronomy 22, and let's look at verse 22. The Bible says, if a man, uh, if a man excuse me, look at verse 23. If a damsel, that is a virgin, be betrothed, well, let's get verse 22. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, Then they uh, shall both of them die. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. Now this would take care of any of the issues of divorce or remarriage. You know, we go out and kill them. (laughs) Wow. Takes care of the problem. Unfortunately, we don't do this today. God, when he established Israel, gave them good laws. I'm going to tell you something. Before people started to think about adultery, they had to think about this. If I commit adultery and get caught, I'm dead. Don't you tell me they didn't. They didn't stop and think before they leaped. Doesn't mean that they didn't do it. Look at verse twenty three. If a damsel that is a virgin that is a virgin be betrothed unto an husband, and a man find her in the city and lie with her, then ye shall bring them both out of the out under the gate of the city. And he shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city, and the man, because he has humbled his neighbor's wife, so shalt thou put away evil from among you. Okay, we're talking about the betrothal period. A damsel, a virgin, or supposed to have been a virgin, before she's come together in marriage, you know what? They find that there's been physical intimacy going on in a city. You know what, if, she, if a woman was uh, put upon by a man and he's trying to rape her, she is supposed to fight back, cry aloud, make as much noise, to draw as much attention to the fact that she's being raped. So that for one thing, maybe someone would come and help her. And not only that, to prove that she is not in consent with what's going on. Let me say this, physical intimacy between two unmarried people is fornication, it's sin. And this is the the thing that the Lord is driving at in Matthew 19, except it be for fornication. But if a man find a, a betrothed damsel in a field... And the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. But of the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man raiseth against his neighbor and slayeth him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the field, and the betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. You know, folks, do you see the, uh, the equity, the fairness of God? You know, God is faithful. In the marriage relationship, God wants us to be fair and honest with things. And folks, when it comes to the marriage relationship, if we're going to be faithful, we're going to have to be honest with ourselves and with God, and remember that we've made a covenant before God, and God hates the putting away, and there's only one instance in which someone can put away their wife, and that's during the engagement period. Otherwise, folks, you know what they could be leading them to do? commit adultery. God doesn't even want divorce if it can be at all possibly avoided because it's the violation, the breaking of a marriage covenant. And God is our faithful God. When it comes to his church, God is there for us at all times. He is not going to break his covenant with us. Even though there are times when we do with him. In Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13 You know, some would say, preacher, this is an old-fashioned idea. Let's remember something. God says, I am the Lord, I change not. Men have changed, God has not changed. In Hebrews 13, look at verse 4 and 5. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. Okay, we're talking about the marriage bed and what goes on in the marriage bed. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And he says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now you say, why in the world is verse 5 following verse 4? Ever stop thinking about that? Because the Bible says this, covet not thy neighbor's wife. We're talking about faithfulness. And I'm going to tell you something, there are so many people committing, uh, they're, they're behaving like whoremongers, they're living in sin together. You know, two people that live together in, a, in an unmarried situation are playing the whore to each other. You say, preacher, that's tough. Yeah. It's sin. It is sin. And you know, we've gotten to the place where we call it the new norm. God doesn't call it the new norm. God still calls it sin, calls people that are behaving in that manner whores and whoremongers and adulterers. There's too much of that that goes on, folks. And some people may may be able to cry cry ignorance. But really? Are we that ignorant? You know, we we used to have laws on the books. Civil laws on the books that, that, that prohibited cohabitation between two unmarried people. We used to have laws in the books that prohibited sodomy and living in a sodomite relationship. And you know what? There may still be in some states in this country those kinds of laws. But they're not being enforced. And it used to be, you know what? It used to be in America you could not get a divorce. Not because the nation was Catholic. But it was against the law. It was against the law. And then they said, well, okay, we'll, 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 we'll allow some divorces. You go to Reno, and you live there for six weeks or however, six months, and you become a, a, a citizen of that state, then you can get a divorce because that was the first state to open up and, bra- and violate the laws of divorce, And that's where it happened. And let me tell you something. They've let you know what, folks, we've let open a floodgate of sin. We've let open a floodgate, folks that has violated the covenant of marriage and faithfulness to marriage. God is a faithful spouse. Revelation two. Revelation 2 and 1, under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. I mean, he's saying a lot of good things and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. He didn't start this this letter to this particular church with anything bad. But he says in verse 4, Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick, out of his place, except thou repent. <clears throat> What's he talking about? Violating the marriage relationship? Unfaithfulness in our love to God? You know, folks, one of the things that will cause a church to cease to be a church is whether or not we're faithful in our love to our God. You know, he is our, a faithful spouse to us. He's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus for a reason. And he draws on a real problem. A lack of faithfulness in their love for the Lord. You know, what does the Bible say? What is the first and great commandment? To love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy... As an individual. But within our churches, folks, we need to love the Lord and love the house of God and the people that make up this church be faithful you know why is it why is it that sometimes you feel like you're pulling teeth to get people to come to church like they ought to you know what that is a lack of faithfulness and fidelity to the god who is our spouse Matthew 24 and 12. Matthew 24 and 12. Now I understand when people are sick. God understands that. If you're sick, stay home. Please don't share your sickness with us. I can see if you're, if you're dealing with some real physical disability that doesn't allow you to come for, for a time. The problem we're talking about is a problem of our heart. It's a problem with our heart. And you know, I can teach people... How many times do we talk about this kind of thing? I think Brother Knight talked about this last week. And... <clears throat> sometimes I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. I say, well, that's, that's nasty, Pete. Pastor, you call me a dead horse? No. With, you know, can you imagine a dead horse gets to stinking after a while? <clears throat> you know, you can't get a dead horse to get up and pull the wagon. Folks, what, where's our love? Matthew 24, or, uh, 24, verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, The love of many shall wax cold. The love of many shall wax cold. You know what that's talking about? Our love. Not only as individuals, but I'm going to tell you something. I think we're talking about the love of God's church for for their spouse. Amen. Hebrews 10. Oh, I know where you're going, preacher. Amen. Amen. Oh, I don't want to hear that again. Amen. Who cares? I'm going to hear it again anyway. <clears throat> Hebrews 10 and 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, we're to love each other. But the Bible says this, if you can't love each other, how can you love the God that you can't see if you can't love the people you do see? We're to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, uh, oh, 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 really? Sin willfully? What's that in context with? Forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, some people will look for an excuse, any excuse, not to come to church. And I know where the problem is. It's a heart issue. It's a lack of faithfulness to your spouse. Amen. But know this, that the Lord is faithful to us. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9. Not only is a faithful friend, a faithful spouse but he is a faithful mediator. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 9, God is faithful by whom you were called to the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we won't take the time to look there, but in Genesis chapter 3, we know that when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? Suddenly they said, uh-oh, I'm not, I'm not doing too good. I'm naked, and I know God's upset. So let's, let's make a fig leaf suit, and let's hide from God. And when the Lord came looking, he said, Adam, where art thou? Not because God didn't know. Adam didn't know. But something happened in the Garden of Eden. For the first time in the life of man, first time in the life of man, man was afraid of God. Because man had sinned against God. The fellowship had been broken the fellowship, relationship and fellowship in broken. No longer were they the children of God. They'd made a choice for the devil over God, for sin over God. But in the midst of it all, in Genesis 3, 15, the Lord gives a promise of a mediator, a promise of a mediator, the son of the woman, the seed of the woman, the virgin-born Son of God, Genesis 3.15. The first mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the first mention of the mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ. That was absolutely necessary if there would be reconciliation between God and man. You know, Adam and Eve were reconciled to God by faith in the seed of the woman, the virgin-born Son of God looking for a mediator, one that would deal with the issue of sin. In First Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> and let's look at verse 3. Well, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who, have, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Now, God wants all men to be saved, but never forget this, not all men will be. But he says this, if they're going to be, says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You know what, folks? There had to be a mediator. And you know what? That mediator had to be man and God. Man and God. On the one hand, he could speak for man. On the other hand, he could speak for God. Now, God wasn't the problem. We were the problem. And he had to be a man in order to be a blood sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. A mediator is one that interposes between parties at variance for the purpose of reconciling them. Christ is the eminent and only mediator between God and man. He is man and he is God. Hebrews 2 Hebrews 2 and 14. Hebrews 2 and 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, speaking of Christ, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their, life, their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took, Not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able also to he is able to succor them that are tempted. You know what, folks? Christ is in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He became a man to be the perfect sacrifice for sins. The one and only meter. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me, he said, he is the door. He is the only way for us to reach God and have a right relationship with God. But God, you know, folks, Christ is faithful. He came, and you know what, folks? He lowered himself to be lower than an angel and become a man. You know, sometimes it's amazing the things we think about ourselves. And God said that Christ, God, in the, God the Son, became a man, lowered himself to become one of us so that he could be our mediator to save us. In 1 Peter 3 in 18, 1 Peter 3 and 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. What a faithful God Jesus Christ is. He died the just for the unjust. And you know something? But for the promise and plan of God, he didn't have to do anything. God did not have to obligate himself to die for us. He did not have to obligate himself to become a man except for the fact that he promised to do so. And he planned to do so because he loves us. And I'll tell you something, that's, that's hard for me to imagine. Think about yourself for a minute. Think about what we are and what we're not. And yet God loved us anyway and became the mediator and the person of his son. In Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 23, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. You know, they were a picture of, of Jesus Christ, the great high priest. But this man, speaking of Christ, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Folks, in Christ's intercession, he continues to be our mediator. When the devil would say, oh, look at what, look at what, look at what Pastor Walters did again. And the Lord says, Yeah, but what about my precious blood that cleansed him from all of his sin? And you, if you're saved by the grace of God. You know what? When the devil would accuse us, Christ says, wait a second. I'm greater than the devil in all the accusations. I've dealt with all of sin. In 1 Timothy 2 again, and verse 1. First Timothy Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. You know what, folks? We can, now listen, we can be, even as Christ, a faithful friend, a faithful spouse, And folks, a faithful mediator in this sense. You know what, folks? We ought to be seeking God daily for people to be saved. Even our enemies. And in one sense, standing between them and God, saying, God, be merciful to those folks who are sinners. You know, what's soul winning all about? It's us being like our Lord. Us standing in the gap saying, listen, come to Christ come to God through Jesus Christ. And we reach out to people, we pray for them, we call them, amen, even as God calls them in their heart. We're talking about faithfulness. He's a faithful friend, he's a faithful spouse, he's a faithful mediator. And let me say this, we can, we can be even as he is. By the grace of God, we can be a faithful friend. We can be a faithful spouse. To the church, in our homes. Amen. And as a mediator. Our God's faithful. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.